Premier Christian Newscast. Christian pilgrims have been visiting Jerusalem and the Holy Land for centuries, trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus himself. But in recent years, there has been a disturbing rise in incidents of harassment and abuse against Christians by Jewish Israelis. Some pilgrims have been spat on in the street, while Christian graveyards have been desecrated. And it's not solely foreign visitors. Christians who live in Israel have also reported a worrying uptick in hostility mostly from some within the Haredi or ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. What is driving this rise in hatred of Christians? Can it be linked with recent political turmoil in Israel and the installation of its most right-wing government ever? How has mainstream Jewish-Israeli society reacted to these incidents? And how can Christians, a tiny but long-standing minority in the Holy Land, navigate the myriad complexities of addressing this form of persecution in an era of rising anti-Semitism and culture wars fired by religious populism. I'm Tim Wyatt, and in this week's Premier Christian Newscast, we're going to try and go behind the headlines on the recent harassment and abuse of Christians in Israel to find out what's happening, and more importantly, why. Well, hello and welcome. Thanks so much for joining us, each of you. Really great to have you on the show today. Um, could I start by asking you each to to briefly introduce yourselves? Um, Phaedra, why don't you go first? Okay, I'm Phaedra Shapiro. I'm a senior research fellow at the Philos Project. That's an American organization promoting positive Christian engagement in the Middle East. I also direct the Israel Center for Jewish-Christian Relations. Excellent. Uh, Richard, who are you? Yeah, I'm uh, Richard Sewell, and I'm the Dean of St. George's College in Jerusalem. St. George's is the Anglican Centre for Pilgrimage in the Holy Land. And last but not least, Francis. Thank you. I'm Francis Martin. I'm a reporter for the Church Times newspaper, and I've recently spent a bit of time in Jerusalem and the West Bank. Excellent. Well, I'm really pleased to have all three of you on the show. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, before we kick into the kind of meat of the discussion, I thought it'd be great to kind of set the scene for people who've not really ever thought about this question of um, Christians living in Israel and kind of relationships between Christians and Jews. Um, could anyone just quickly explain to us, you know, how many Christians are there in Israel? Um, what kind of civil rights status do they have uh, in, in the country? And what's the kind of history of their relationship with with the Jewish majority? Pedro, you've probably been analysing these figures because you've been sort of in a research role. Do you, do you want to do that or do you want me to give my slightly more anecdotal uh, account? I mean, I can start out with the with that absolute basics and then you can uh, enliven it. How's that? Okay, okay. that sounds okay. good. Um, I mean, the Christian population of Israel stands at about 2% of the general population. Um you know, while only some specific denominations are recognized in terms of their ability to do things like, you know, marry and bury, uh, there is full freedom of 
conscience, faith, religion, worship, uh, you know, regardless of religious affiliation in Israel. We do have laws that criminalize the desecration of religious sites, that criminalize actions that harm uh, freedom of access to religious sites or that interfere with lawful assembly for religious worship. We have laws that criminalize desecration of sacred objects and more. So, you know, at least on paper, I would say our laws are are pretty good. I, I think one thing we need to take into account, though, is that, um, you know, Christian, the reality of Christians in Israel is really, uh, can be really different depending on location. So there is, um, you know, Christians in Israel live some really different realities. So Christians in Galilee live a very different reality than uh, Christians in Jerusalem, um, both of whom live very different realities from, let's say, um, you know, migrant worker Christians in Tel Aviv or Christians from the former Soviet Union. Mm. Um, and I think we can also, you know, there, there's a really widespread of, uh, let's call it integration um, it, among Christians in Israel. So ranging from like Christians who don't speak any Hebrew and don't want to, uh, to Christians who are, you know, officers in the Israel Defense Force. There are Christians who go to Arabic speaking Christian schools. And there are Christians who go to, you know, Hebrew speaking, uh, Jewish state schools. So, you know, we need to be a little bit careful about speaking about Christians in Israel generally, um, because there is such a range and Jerusalem is particularly volatile in, in every sense. What would you add to that, Richard? Well, I think that, that's great and, and really, Phaedra, uh, I think what I would add would be the, the denominational variety uh, of Christians here um, in the Holy Land. Uh, and that for Christians in the UK would be quite surprising because the vast majority of Christians are not Protestants, they're not, they're not evangelicals as we would understand them in the UK, um, they're not they're not Anglicans. They are broadly uh, in, from the Orthodox family of churches. So Greek Orthodox, Coptic, which is Egyptian Orthodox, Syriac Orthodox, um, and then Roman Catholics, uh, of which there are two types, again, surprising uh, to UK people, because the Melkite Catholics uh, look to the Pope as their uh, figurehead leader, uh, but they worship in a Greek Orthodox style. So in, in any one town uh, or city, you will find Melkite Catholic Church and Roman Catholic churches. Um, and so you've got this fantastic, rich variety of churches. Um, and we our ecumenical relations are absolutely vital uh, because whilst we're 2% of the population, any one denomination is considerably less than 1%. So only when we can speak in any way with one voice can we mass ourselves into our full 2%, um, you know, which is still absolutely tiny. So we, we Christians, whilst the world may think of Christianity as the dominant religion as such in many parts of the world, here in um, Israel and Palestine, uh, we are a very small minority with very little clout. Uh, but there have been Christians here 
right the way back to the very first Christians in an unbroken line of Christians. You know, we, we didn't, the, the, the church here did not come into, um, into being through European missionary work. It just never went away. So that is the, the, the continuity that's really important to understand. And when Christians come from the UK, particularly Protestant Christians, they come and see Christianity here and they don't necessarily feel any immediate affinity with it. So they've learned to read what Eastern Christianity is like, and some not so keen to do that, but many do and find themselves very enriched by it. So the Christian community, as Phaedra said, is diverse and more diverse than most European and American Christians would understand. Thank you both. That's really helpful um, explaining a bit of the context for those of us who've who've not had the privilege of, of spending much time among the church there in, in Israel. Um, is there, you mentioned Phaedra that there is, you know, the kind of laws are quite well established in, in giving Christians total freedom of worship and protection for their faith. Um, has there been any history of, of kind of communal tension um, with Jewish Israelis or is this a more kind of recent development? Well, um, that's a big question. I I appreciate it. Yeah, it is. I think I would call this a bit of a both and. I mean, there has been a history for sure of, you know, episodes, sporadic episodes, I would say, of, uh, you know, harassment and vandalism, sure. Um, But I think that's, you know, really nothing compared to the long history of relations that we might call broadly quiet. I mean, it's it's probably worthwhile to remember that the vast majority of Jewish Israelis don't care at all about Christians in Israel. I mean, one might argue that they should, uh, but they they mostly don't. Um, and uh, you know, increasingly, Christian sites are actually uh, destinations for domestic Israeli Jewish tourism. I was just at several Christian sites in Galilee recently with a group, and they were absolutely swamped with Jewish Israelis. So. I don't believe that there is a general anti-Christian feeling in Israel, not today and not in the past. But we do have this history, definitely, uh, most regrettably, of, uh, you know, anti-Christian harassment and vandalism. And right now, um, you know, we're seeing a really noticeable and very worrying uptick in those kinds of incidents. Well, that leads us nicely on to introduce you, Francis. Uh, the kind of instigating factor for this little podcast was was a story you wrote recently for the Church Times after a trip you took to to Israel, talking about something quite unexpected you hadn't kind of planned to be reporting on. Do you want to share share what happened and what you witnessed and, and what you kind of found out when you started digging into that? Absolutely. So um, I was with Richard, in fact, I was with a group uh, of pilgrims, uh, Church of England ordinands, who were staying at uh, St. George's College. And as part of their pilgrimage, um, they traced the Stations of the Cross, the Via Dolorosa, through the old city of Jerusalem. Now, this is, as you get in in, in Catholic churches and, and some Anglican churches, you get the Stations of the Cross, often uh, up either side of the church, they sort of chart the the steps um, on the route that that Jesus took to his crucifixion, um, and they are often a source of of reflection on that process. Doing that in Jerusalem 
rather than going to some pictures or some little statues, you're really are literally walking along the streets that Jesus would have walked um, to the site of his crucifixion. And it's an immensely important moment for for Christian pilgrims to the Holy Land. Um, it's a very it's a very powerful moment, um, and it's something that a lot of them undertake. And you see plenty of groups uh, sort of making that journey. Um, so our group um, that I was uh, I was tagging along tagging along at the back uh, were were making their way. I think we were at the fifth station uh, of the cross. Um, Richard uh, was was at the front leading some reflections and prayers and uh, I was standing towards the back and uh, as we were as we were standing there in prayer um, a young Hasidic Jewish boy I would say probably age 14 15 perhaps uh, came walking down the street nothing unusual about that at all the the old city of Jerusalem you see a huge variety of different people. You see Christian groups like like uh, the one that I was observing, um, but there are also uh, a lot of uh, Haredi Jewish, uh, ultra Orthodox Jewish. Um, uh, there are many uh, Muslims, of course, um, Palestinian Muslims, Palestinian Christians, a whole variety of people living in the old city. And as this boy came past. Um, he didn't make a big thing of it, but he spat as he came past the group. Almost in such a way as to be sort of plausibly deniable that he was he was spitting at anyone. Um, it wasn't a, a big show of it, but it was this sort of derisive um, act uh, as he passed the group. And I didn't realise at the time that his his spit had actually landed on the leg of one member of the group. Um, standing just behind me but it had uh, she didn't make a, a a fuss about it she didn't really want to draw attention to this um and so it wasn't until conversations afterwards that we kind of realized exactly what had happened um and this incident which i think it's fair to say having spoken to to various members of the group was was not at all representative of their time in jerusalem the holy land more generally um they didn't feel unsafe uh, during their trip. They they found it a very powerful experience. This was, you know, very much the anomaly. Um, but uh, looking into this incident, it showed that there was uh, a real increase recently in these kinds of incidents. Generally, at that kind of level, um, the level of of spitting, of of uh, verbal abuse, um, of of acts of intimidation, but that it builds up to an extremely concerning uh, picture for Christians uh, in Jerusalem. Thanks, Francis. Um, Richard, you 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 live in Jerusalem. Uh, you, you you live this reality. Is this an isolated incident, or as Francis says, do you have you also seen signs that there might be actually be a trend, a pattern here? Oh yeah, I would definitely say there is a trend. Uh, upwards, um, not that I have directly experienced them myself. I have never actually been spat upon. I have never been abused. But then, although I wear a collar and I'll sometimes wear my cassock around Jerusalem, um, I look Western. And so we tend not to be so much the target, whereas 
the indigenous Christians, um, those that who are dressed uh, very obviously as a priest, the Coptic, the Armenians, the Catholic, Franciscan uh, brothers, the monks who are here in numbers, regularly will tell me and others that, you know, if they walk through the old city, there's barely a time when they do not get um, abused in some way um, uh, or, or, you know, spat at or um, spoken to, sworn at, that type of thing. Um, and there have been other incidents that have been recorded in the uh, Israeli press uh, and in the Palestinian press about a much more serious attack on churches, um, a Orthodox Jewish man who uh, attacked one of the churches along the Via Dolorosa, went in and pulled down a statue of Mary and the local, uh, the, 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 the caretaker of the church and the site had to sort of wrestle him to the ground. He had a knife in his hand um, and he really put his own life at risk. Actually, a Muslim caretaker of the site um, protecting a Christian site against a Jewish attacker. Um, and we've had three, four, five of that type of incident in the last two years, um, a sort of arson attack type on a church uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, and a terrible desecration of our cemetery um, on Mount Zion by two clearly Orthodox Jewish young men who were filmed by CCTV and almost oblivious of the fact they must have known that they were being filmed, but in full view, not covering their face, attacked 14 or 15 gravestones, including um, the tomb of the first Anglican bishop in Jerusalem uh, and pulled off uh, a cross from the top of his tomb. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we've, we've got a series of those sorts of incidents that make the Christian community here feel that there has been a sort of a sea change of these, you know, still, you would say, relatively low level compared to uh, recently, I just put on Twitter about the terrible attack that took place in Pakistan of 100 churches that were burnt down and, you know, people who were, whose lives were threatened. We're not in that level of uh, terrible persecution. We're at a lower level. And so the concerns are of a different order, but I think nonetheless very serious. And I think it's worth adding that there is perhaps a, a, a sense of impunity, Richard, and you, as you kind of alluded to, perhaps with these, um, the, the desecration of the churchyard, you know, there is a sense that um, the perpetrators aren't going to be held accountable. And in fact, there's a, there's a few instances of allegations against um, police and soldiers um, sort of uh, insulting Christians, spitting at Christians. Um, there have been a couple of instances of that sort. So the impunity is is another sort of worrying aspect in terms of the upward upward trend. Yeah, I think that's very part of it. That when complaints are made, it has often been felt that it's not serious. They're not treated as crimes. If people are questioned, they're not arrested. If they are arrested, they're not charged. If they are charged, they do a you know tiny sentence, which will be immediately slashed as soon as they. Uh, start facing their 
uh, sentence or whatever it might be. And so, yes, there is a feeling that these people are doing these things partly because now the you know appalling right wing, far right wing government that there is is sort of sanctioning it because they're saying the same sorts of things which are discriminatory, um, but sometimes racist, and those things. And so people on the street sort of feel that their views are now mainstream and that there's no way that they ask for it or charge. So that's what makes Christians feel very vulnerable, that they don't quite know where to go with, uh, with the complaints or with the, um, the experiences that they're enduring. And Phaedra, Richard has kind of alluded to the the change in government uh, uh, in, in Israel in, in, in recent times. It's taken a much more kind of nationalistic, religious f- uh, flavour. Do you think that is what is behind this kind of uptick in harassment uh, or, or there are other factors at play? So I'm not sure that I would say that that's really what's, what's behind it, but I do fear that that has helped to, um, to, to normalise a certain... Um, I don't know, a culture of bullying um, that, uh, I mean, we are increasingly, in fact, reaping the building of a culture of of power here in Israel where, you know, to be gentle is to be a sucker. Um, you know, we are at a kind of decisive moment in Israeli history, one that's uh, frightening for, for a lot of us, uh, a perfect storm, perhaps, um, you know, where demography and the electoral system and a lack of constitution and questions about our national vision and security threats all are kind of uh, intersect. So at this kind of um, moment of confusion, um, I think that strength and power appear to uh, be all the more kind of appealing um, and the way to um, you know, the, the way, especially for Israelis who felt that maybe they haven't equally benefited from the state, um, you know, that, that power and strength are, are really necessary in the demonstration of power and strength. Um, I mean, history, uh, history has shown us the cost of being powerless, the cost of being gentle, the cost of not being able to protect ourselves as, as Jews. And so it's here that I think that the issue of harassment of Christians and rising anti-Semitism around the world also intersect. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and trying trying to make sense of these, uh, you know, Francis, you're sort of describing this, um, this incident almost as a kind of, um, well, it feels like a, a kind of... Uh, having a performative aspect. And I've been thinking that, you know, this is a way for, a way that um, the historically powerless um, are also kind of ritually performing their power to say that, you know, after 2000 years of powerlessness and persecution at the hands of Christians, now we have power. Now we can resist. Now look at us, we can spit. And so I think it actually suggests something deeper than just the the current government constellation. It suggests a situation where people have power, but still feel powerless. And that's a really deep problem because it means there's a significant part of the population that is still 
working through our past trauma. I mean, you know, Jewish sovereignty um, and the feeling that we have some control over our over our destiny is still only 75 years old. And our historical trauma and the feeling of instability and powerlessness is far older. So I guess it's also sort of recognizing that a declaration of independence doesn't heal people. It doesn't magically make them feel uh, secure or enfranchised. We have something, I think, even deeper. I don't want to say that the political, the current government constellation is not a significant factor. I think that it is. But I think that there's something even deeper going on here. Premier Christian Newscast. Christian Newscast. That's really interesting. Thank you for, for opening some of that stuff up. Uh, one other angle here, and I want to be very careful not to to demonize any particular community, but um, the 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 Hasidic Jewish community, the Haredi community in Israel, has been growing in numbers in recent years and is clearly having more kind of electoral sway. And, and it's, it's been mentioned by Richard and Francis. Some of the perpetrators, some of these attacks, have come from from that background. Do you does that play a factor here in, in the kind of growth of of that particular community? I think it does, in the sense of feeling that you know, um, again, that sort of historical powerlessness. Now we have power. Now we have more influence in the government. Now our time has come to have power, show power, demonstrate power, perform power. Uh, so, and there is a normalizing of culture. I mean, we don't, we don't really do, um, civil discourse very well here in Israel. Um, so there is a normalizing of a certain, uh, culture of, um, you know, frankly, very brutal ways of, of speaking about each other to each other. Um, and so I think that, that all of that certainly, uh, impacts a, you know, some people in some communities' feelings that you know this is this is an okay thing to do. At the same time, I feel compelled to add that you know, Orthodox religious leaders, um, put aside politicians, also, but you know, Orthodox faith leaders have spoken out against this. Um, you know, just two weeks ago, we had another letter from the chief rabbi of Israel. Um, about uh, what's happening Stella Maris in Haifa, a case that's, you know, outside of Jerusalem, uh, absolutely in very, very strong language, uh, condemning this kind of behavior and calling on, you know, reminding Jews that we have a special obligation because of our history to make sure that we do not uh, perpetrate this kind of action on members of other religions. So, you know, it, it's not um, it's not that there isn't a solution, so to speak, within the ultra-Orthodox community. It is there. Uh, just how much influence those letters have, that's, that's really the question. Hmm. The context in which this happens, the, the, being the old city of Jerusalem, I think is really important. And this picks up on, on what Phaedra said about... Um, this perception of, of being under threat that whilst um, 
in in Jerusalem as uh, as a whole, uh, as we look at it as a whole city, um, and certainly Israel as a whole, um, being uh, Jewish or being Haredi Jewish is not um, is not a minority. It's not a, under threat by any stretch. Um, whereas in many other parts of the world that has been the case, at least historically, um, and remains so today in, in in a huge number of places. But in the old city of Jerusalem is a much more contested environment. Um, and, you know, this and this causes a huge amount of tension. There is uh, multiple instances. And there was one shortly before um, I was in uh, arrived in Jerusalem. There's been one quite recently of of houses in the old city that um, are Palestinian families are living in who are then evicted um, to allow uh, a, Haredi Jewish family to move in. Um, so there is this, this sense of struggle uh, over the over the very sort of stones of the old city, which perhaps also um, amplifies that sense that, that we need to protect our territory among some, um, or we need to exert our authority to show that you know this is our space. You're you're here as a as a visitor or a guest of us at our at our pleasure. Um, and and if we want to treat you like this, we can. Is is perhaps something of the psychology um, uh, going on uh, in, in uh, underneath these attacks or these instances? Yeah, yeah. I think certainly I would want to add that broader context that the the situation facing Christians in Israel and Jerusalem is within a context of the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza and the denial of um, the sort of political aspirations of Palestinians, both Christians and Muslims, and that whilst Christians in, Palestinian Christians in Israel theoretically have equal rights as citizens, um, the Palestinian people, Christians and Muslims alike, do not feel that their identity is allowed to flourish and that they experience the police, the state, in many senses, uh, not only in the West Bank and Gaza, as an occupying force that they do. Well, you know, for instance, Palestinians in East Jerusalem, where I live, cannot vote in national elections because their status is not as full citizens, although to all intents and purposes, they live in Israel. So they can vote in the municipal elections for Jerusalem, but they cannot vote in the national elections for Israel. And so there is a systemic uh, discrimination between Israelis, Jewish, um, Muslim and Christian, and many other Palestinians who live in other parts of the land. Uh, and so that broader context must be understood. Um, and so whilst we might be focusing on Israel, we can't actually detach Israel from East Jerusalem, which in many ways, in truth, is not Israel, and the West Bank, and access that Christians have and, uh, to churches in Jerusalem and elsewhere, and that Muslims have lack of access to mosques in Jerusalem and, and elsewhere. So that whilst we, you know, I think that's beyond the brief of this particular uh, podcast discussion, 
any anybody of your listeners, Tim, would be you need to understand the wider political context of a conflict and a, and an occupation. Then just to go back to the other point, I'd be really interested to hear what Phaedra has to say about this. We often talk about in the Christian community um, uh, an element of uh, Jewish thinking from certain groups that there is a sort of religious for these particular groups um, that the Christian presence in the land is particularly problematic, actually in a way that the Muslim presence in the land is not problematic because of the way in which Christians are seen as idol worshippers, that we use imagery in our religious architecture and in our religious sort of furniture, as it were, like statues of Mary and uh, icons uh, presenting religious figures and, and Jesus who, uh, and, you know, sometimes even of God, not often, but occasionally. And so we understand that some of these attacks upon Christians and, Christ and churches and on our, uh, our, our the sort of the furniture of worship, as it were, is because those people want to cleanse the land of the, something they think pollutes the land, which is the actual presence of Christians altogether and of churches altogether. I don't know, Pedro, how you respond to that. If you, if that, if there is truth in that, or if it's so marginal as to, um, I, I think that you're putting your finger on something, on something important, and it relates to perhaps what you were saying um, earlier. I think about uh, the political background here, because I would have, um, you know. Uh, Perhaps should have jumped in and said, okay, but, you know, most of the, the attacks and the harassment that we're seeing are not really on Palestinian Christians or Palestinian Christian institutions, um, but, you know, on, on foreign, uh, Christians, foreign Christian institutions. Um, and so here, I think, um, you know, what you, what you said has some resonance to me. I mean, people who would never, I think, in a million years, uh, spit on the uh, supermarket cashier uh, or their doctor uh, wearing a cross could theoretically uh, spit on a nun. And so, like, what's the difference? And I think, uh, you know, that issue of, of performance, I think that there is this um, presence of symbols of institutional Christianity and about the history and symbols of institutional Christianity more than it is about actual Christians. So we don't have, um, you know, God forbid, may we never uh, have examples of sort of random people who happen to be Christian walking down the street who are attacked or spat on. We do have clergy in, um, you know, clerical dress, uh, pectoral cross, large institutions, monasteries uh, that that are. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't hmm, I don't think I want to get into or maybe even know enough about the theological issue of cleansing the land of idolatry. I know that that thinking exists. I think it's um, marginal, and I think that maybe even the role of theology is a little bit marginal in Judaism. But that 
again, that historical experience with the institutional church and its symbols and the way that that is read by a people trying to figure out what it means to be uh, to be living in a Jewish state, what it means to be building a Jewish state that's both Jewish and democratic for those who are, you know, still holding up the democratic side. Um, so I, I think uh, that what you're saying is uh, perhaps partly, partly resonates for me. One of the things I wanted to touch on, which has kind of come up here, is you mentioned a lot of these attacks aren't on kind of indigenous expressions of kind of everyday Christianness, um, but are on, you know, I mean, France's example was a group of, of foreign Christian pilgrims. Um, obviously, Christian kind of tourism is is a big deal, particularly in Jerusalem. There's a plethora of religious sites, places for Christians to come to visit. Um, how do, you know, particularly the more kind of observant Orthodox Jewish Israelis feel about kind of Christians' obsession with their land and with their city and with these sites? You know, I, mean, I know there's a kind of political nexus between maybe some of the more kind of right-wing evangelicals you see in America who tend to be very pro-Zionist and people like Netanyahu. But is there also, is there a religious conflict between, between actually people resent the fact that their holy city is also the holy city to these kind of foreign Christians? Um, in my experience, you know, listen, Israel, first of all, is extremely dependent on Christian visitors. Uh, you know, a whole subset of the economy is depending on that. Um, and by and large, except for the old city in Jerusalem, by and large, the paths of Christian visitors and Jewish Israelis don't really meet. Okay, pilgrimage um often kind of takes place in its own pilgrimage bubble. Uh, and Jewish Israelis sort of, you know, we know that it exists and we see it. Um, we don't really understand why, um, you know, what what draws Christians here. We're not uh, usually at those sites, although I think that increasingly Jewish Israelis are venturing into those sites. Um, so I think it's more... Uh, I, I don't think it's um, a feeling that like, oh, you're here and this is our land and these are our sites. It's almost like a kind of parallel Israel uh, where, you know, those are Christian tourists or Christian visitors. Uh, they're doing their kind of thing and, you know, never the twain shall meet. And I think that's really I think that's uh, a major loss, uh, both for visiting Christians and for Jewish Israelis, uh, that we don't have very much encounter and engagement with with each other let alone with local christians yeah and i think that's that that's very true and jerusalem being a such a melting pot of uh, a place where people of the diverse uh, faith traditions do actually rub up bump up alongside one another in shared spaces um, whereas in many parts of Israel, um, Muslims and Christians, as Israelis with Palestinian identity, um, live in towns or villages which are vast majority Palestinian, Israeli Palestinians, so Israelis who are actually, they understand themselves as um, nationally or ethnically Palestinian. Um, whereas in Jerusalem, we really are all up against each other, 
against, alongside each other, and therefore these differences are more obvious. And, um, you know, the, the, the Palestinians are living here in Jerusalem, and if they went, if something occurred to them, uh, was done to them, and they went straight up to one of the armed police officers nearby and say, you know, that, that Jewish person just attacked me. He, uh, he, he pushed me over. He, he did this. They would feel, they, they, would pr they could well get arrested for making a false accusation rather than the police officer sort of going, oh, quick, we'll go and investigate, find out what's going on. They feel themselves powerless because they don't feel themselves protected by the state because we're in a situation of a deep and profound conflict which bubbles up all the time. And, you know, as Christians, we feel we are, you know, our, our ideology, our faith, our practice is peaceful, uh, hopefully gentle, um, and, and yet we still get attacked. And when we do get attacked, sometimes we feel like we're not heard. And so, for instance, two years ago, when our Archbishop, the Anglican Archbishop Hassan Naum, along with, uh, wrote, wrote an article, actually uh, co-wrote with Archbishop Justin of Canterbury, uh, uh, you know, Church of England Archbishop of Canterbury, about an increasing sense of Christians feeling vulnerable in Jerusalem. Nobody actually reached out to our Archbishop Hassan from the wider community to say, we're really concerned that you feel that. What's that about? Actually, he was publicly criticised for being wrong, uh, that that's not the case. Christians actually are privileged in Israel. Christians are growing. Christians are um, fortunate in many ways. They don't experience this. And I was really shocked at that, that a minority faith leader expressing a sense of vulnerability and fear rather than being uh, supported, whether he's right or wrong, but out of that sense, was actually publicly criticised. Hmm. Uh, and and I, I thought that was really bad because I think we, in every society, when minorities express fear, it is incumbent upon the majority to communicate community to listen very, very carefully and to try to understand whether something that they think to be true is misplaced. Mm. And so it's that type of thing of feeling unheard. So that when there are experiences that are profound and you know existential, that that is not fully understood. And Phaedra would be a very good example of a Jewish Israeli being closely involved with the Christian community um, and concerned for the welfare of the Christian community, um, whereas others have been quite slow in coming forward to show solidarity. I just wanted to to um, make it clear, I suppose, from from the perspective of someone who's um, visited uh, Jerusalem uh, rather than someone who who lives there. Um, that the experience, despite a lot of what we've been saying and, and, and um, how that might make some worry, uh, travelling from Britain to, to Jerusalem, for example, the, the experience of being um, 
a white Western visitor into Jerusalem is still um, distinctly different from being a Palestinian Christian. Um, Richard has has given a um, a few examples of, of some of the uh, discrimination, um, oppression that 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 Palestinians uh, face living in East Jerusalem, for example, also in the West Bank and in and in Israel um, itself. Um, you know, whilst there is the a trend for 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 some very obvious visiting groups um the sort of pilgrimage groups where it's very clear that these these people are not are, are visitors to 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 the country um being uh, attacked in the way that i've described um you know this you are still uh, very much uh privileged uh going through that space um a simple example of this is is traveling through checkpoints um in hebron uh, in the west bank a city that's just um, riven with checkpoints and um, and uh, Israeli settlements uh, within what under international law is a is a Palestinian territory. Um, you know, as a as a white British person, I I literally could walk straight through a checkpoint. Uh, they didn't check my passport. They barely asked me a question. Um, I could just wander through, and that's not the case at all. If you're a Palestinian person who lives there and has every right to pass through that checkpoint. Um, they face harassment, they face delays, um, you know, they face all manner of difficulties going to those checkpoints. So I think it's just important to kind of, before we feel uh, perhaps too sorry for, 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 some, um, uh, for some visiting Christians who, who, who uh, can suffer um, unjustified um, aggression, you know, no one's trying to, to say that it's okay, or, but that it's, it's, it doesn't quite... Uh, hold a candle to to what other people are facing. Yeah, I just really wanted to agree, uh, Richard, with what you're saying about this issue of feeling um, unheard uh, and how important it is to to listen and to take seriously people's experiences. To not, I mean, to say that is not your experience is uh, is absolutely unacceptable. Um, but not, not by way of, of justification, um, but perhaps by way of some explanation for us to remember that, um, you know, this, first of all, Jewish Israelis are feeling increasingly um, that, you know, we're not getting answers from state institutions. Uh, and there is that increasing sense of powerlessness also among Jewish Israelis. Um but also, and this is hard for me to remember, I, uh, you know, grew up in Canada, I've been here for over 15 years, but still to remember that, you know, this isn't, uh, it's not the UK, it's not Canada, um, that all of this is coming at a time when the Israeli uh, bandwidth is um, significantly overtaxed, we might say, uh, that, you know, many Israelis are really taken up with feeling that the future of our country is at stake, uh, together with new waves of terror attacks, regional threats, uh, plummeting shekel, rising interest rates. Um, you know, so, well, I think that you're absolutely right that we need to take the experiences of 
uh, local Christians, visiting Christians much more seriously, that we need to have more um, more answer, more response, uh, better uh, policing, better sentencing. All of those things are absolutely right. But to recognize that we're also in a period of some uh, serious difficulties in terms of, um, you know, basic survival, intense political turmoil. I think we have to be careful about interpreting uh, exhaustion uh, as lack of lack of caring. Yeah, no, I, I do totally hear that. We are in, I mean, incredibly political. Uh, febrile doesn't even cover it. Uh, you know, deeply contentious, divided, and fearful times for everybody, actually, um, and people who previously would have felt themselves absolutely secure as Israeli citizens, Jewish Israeli citizens, are feeling fearful for the present and future, uh, and, you know, people are preoccupied with, with absolutely life, uh, key life issues, uh, and I, totally, I do get that. Um, I just lastly then before we before we come to an end I wanted to pick up on you mentioned Richard that um that letter with Archbishop Hassan was was co-signed by Archbishop Justin Welby from here, yep. here in the Church of England Francis you spend the you know bulk of your day job following the comings and goings of the Church of England to what extent do you think kind of Christian leaders here in the UK are aware of what's going on in Jerusalem and, and are they you know building relationships with with Jewish leaders I mean because obviously there's a complexity from the English perspective you know in that the Church of England has its own sad history of anti-Semitism. Absolutely and I think um, yes there is complexity certainly is the is the key word here and the Archbishop of Canterbury very recently um, at the start of September um, was uh, criticised by some um, letters to the Church Times uh, for his refusal to refer to uh, what's happening in uh, in Israel and Palestine as apartheid. Um, he was a, a panel discussion uh, in St. Martin the Fields Church um, alongside um, a, a Palestinian activist and, uh, and uh, flag bearer really for, for reconciliation. And, um, and whilst Archbishop Justin Welby talks a lot about uh, reconciliation. He is still um, reluctant to use the term apartheid, which some have used. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, for example, referred to uh, the situation as apartheid. Um, and there is a case uh, that the archbishop has to kind of balance um, various competing demands, uh, various competing communities that he's speaking to. You know, he speaks... Uh, when he speaks, it's reported around the world. It's of importance to the Anglican Communion. And perhaps one reason that he he may be uh, slightly restrained, and I'm, this is you know conjecture on my part, but one reason he might be constrained is that what he says will then be reflected onto the Anglican Church uh, in Jerusalem itself, of which Richard uh, is, is, is a part and it's very close to um, the Anglican Archbishop in, in Jerusalem. Um, likewise, has to be careful. I did a, an interview with him, uh, published in the Church Times last month um, in August, and he uh, spoke a bit there about how he has to be, you know, not self-censored, but he has to be a little bit careful about what he says, because 
you know, there are various ways that, that his job could get more difficult um, if he was perceived to be uh, in some way instigating um, anti-Israeli feeling or anti-Jewish feeling or something of that sort. So it's a very, very complex and, um, and difficult kind of space in which to speak. Um, and as you mentioned, the Church of England has a history of anti-Semitism, uh, for which you know, the Archbishop has apologised and, and has spoken about. I was um, with him uh, in an event a few months ago in Bevis Marks Synagogue in central London, um, and he has very good relationships with uh, the Board of Deputies of British Jews, with the Chief Rabbi. Um, you know, so th- there is all these different relationships that that have to be uh, maintained and managed, um, which I think has to be borne in mind when when looking at some of the statements and and, and some of the pronouncements that are made. Hmm. Yeah. A, a, f- a final yeah. thought from from you, Richard. We're running out of time, but just a final thought from you about as a as a Christian living and working in Jerusalem. How how do you see the the coming years? Do you feel concerned that this kind of tension, this feeling of of fearfulness, will will ramp up, or or if you know circumstances change in Israeli society more broadly, could this be a kind of bump in the road? Uh, I I am very deeply that this is a trajectory towards a worsening situation here for Christians, uh, and I think Christians uh, across the world should should watch what's happening in Israel politically very closely, and should watch what's happening for Christians here in the Holy Land very closely. Um, but I I would really encourage people to come and see uh, and to come with a. a come to visit the Holy Land either on pilgrimage or as a way of visiting the land with well-informed local groups, uh, whether that's St. George's College or many other organisations that link in with Palestinian Christians um, alongside meeting members of other communities as well um, so that you, you come with a balanced view of what's happening here. Don't just come and visit religious sites and say we don't want to see the reality of life today. I don't think that's a properly Christian way of engaging with life today. We can look at history, but we must also look at the present. Um, And I think that's the best way of of coming and seeing with an open mind, an open heart, wanting to be informed and and better engage things. Um, And then we, you know, I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful because we believe in a God of love and justice and peace who has not let the world and all humanity go. God is with us uh, and God works not by, you know, the, 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 the iron fist of power, but through the self, self-sacrifice, self-sacrificial love and caring of all people of goodwill, not just but all people. And that in the end, is what will change things for the better. And I, I always say to people here, we're not about knowing the answers, but what we are about is trying to work out what is the next good thing that we can do that will make the situation not worse, hopefully a little bit better. Uh, and I think that's what we can all do, is seek to find our common humanity rooted in our understanding of a God of love and peace 
Well, that seems like an appropriate place to draw our conversation to a close. Thank you so much, Phaedra. Thank you, Richard, Francis, for your contributions and your uh, insight and reflections on this. Very complicated, but I think it's an important story that's not often told, particularly here in the UK. So thanks so much for, for, for joining us. And thank you, everyone else, for listening. I hope you found that interesting conversation. We'll be back next week, as always. But until then, bye-bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast.